a uh, new two-part series uh, today. Emir uh, Tashem, that will take us uh, through next week, obviously. Uh, and then we'll probably have two weeks off. I'm going to be in America, uh, I think, for two weeks, uh, or at least two Wednesdays. Um, so we'll have a little bit of a break. Uh, be wild, go party, use all that extra free time I know you all have uh, for all sorts of fun things. Uh, but uh, get ready, because then when we come back, we won't be that, that far from Purim, which means it won't be that far from Pesach. Uh, crazy. Anyway, so, okay. Okay, sorry. Sorry, okay, okay. Okay, that might be the sheer. <laughs> the evil of the letter pay. Anyway, okay. In all seriousness, I'm very excited for this uh, two-part series. Um, I, you all know uh, that... Um, you know, happiness and I guess self-help or self-improvement are probably the two most popular, uh, you know, uh, book titles or book categories or uh, podcast titles or self-help manuals. This is incredibly popular, uh, you know, to some extent maybe for obvious reasons, to some extent maybe uh, reflections on a certain narcissistic generation that we live in. Uh, but the truth is that uh, I think, uh, you know, like, like Noah once upon a time, uh, it does perhaps reflect certain negative things, but it's also possible to look at this with an eye and tov, uh, which I think is very, very important. And that is that I think there's a great awareness uh, for the need for uh, self-improvement and self-actualization. And obviously, uh, while there's much that we can learn from the general world, uh, but obviously if it's going to be ultimately lasting and meaningful for us, it has to have a Torah basis. And those things in general culture, psychology, uh, and other related fields that correspond with and can complement the Torah insights, then of course they're wonderful and helpful. But with that kind of in mind, I thought we would do a two-part series, which I think uh, Chazal would have called before they you know, figured out how Amazon or uh, once upon a time Barnes & Noble would have categorized it. Uh, we would call this Ben Adam La'atzmo. We're used to you know, categorizing and dividing mitzvot between Ben Adam La'chavero and Ben Adam La'makom. Uh, but there is a third category, which I think is its own category, and it also, of course, relates to the other two. That is between a person and him or herself, Ben Adam La'atzmo, working on ourselves so that we can be the best people we can be. And then, of course, if we are better versions of ourselves, the best versions of ourselves, then our Ben Adam L'chavera will be better. Then our Ben Adam L'makam will be better. Everything will be better. So I think that as a broad category, and I think many different topics would fall under this umbrella, so I thought for the next two weeks we would pick two topics which are each independently important, but relate to each other, and that is humility, anava, or as we title today's share, balancing ego and self-confidence, because I think especially in the modern world, we are sensitive to the fact that there is something about healthy self-confidence, and we wouldn't want to rob ourselves or our children of that, and at the same time, we instinctively know, and of course we're familiar uh, from Torah literature, that ego can be a very negative thing, so where do you exactly draw the line, what's the proper balance, that will be Emir Hashem, today's topic, and then a related but really independent topic uh, is the challenge of anger management uh, and controlling ourselves, which I think you know, I don't need to tell you, um, some of you may have more first-hand knowledge uh, than others, but this is a pervasive problem in many parts of our community and society, and when a person is beset by anger management problems, or is married to someone who is beset by anger management problems, or is the parent of someone who is beset by anger management problems, or is the one who him or herself has the anger management problems, uh, this makes life much less pleasant to, uh, for yourself and for anyone who you live with or you love. And therefore I think it can be incredibly important, again, 
is working on ourselves to, to get better at that, and Mimela, it will, I think, make the life of people who we love and who are around us better. So that's the goal for the next uh, two weeks. So I want to begin uh, today's shir about uh, Anava and Gaiva and the balance between the two by sharing a kind of famous rabbinic story, um, just to illustrate, I think, the complexity of the issue. You may, you may have heard it, uh, or maybe it's only famous for rabbis and not for normal people. But um, there, there was a story of a shul, uh, and uh, everyone was, uh, you know, about to start uh, kol nidre. You know, the, the moment was uh, set and ripe for spiritual uh, introspection and balance. Um, if you could, uh, those on Zoom, if you could just mute yourselves, that would be great. So um, anyway, at the last possible moment before they started uh, davening, uh, the rabbi turns his back to the congregation. He runs over to the Aron Kodesh. He kisses the parochas, and he, you know, falls to the floor, and he screams out to Hashem, Ich bin a gornish! I'm a nobody, and he's filled with tremendous humility, and it's just inspiring to see the leader of the community. Um, Mavis, if you could mute yourself, that would be great. Thank you. Um, that um, people, you know, were so inspired by his humility. Uh, in fact, the president, very, very wealthy man in the community, very distinguished, and he himself, he sees the rabbi, and if the rabbi, who everyone looks up to, could do such a thing, you know, he himself leaves his seat of prominence and runs over to Aaron Kodesh, kisses the parochas, falls on the floors of the Ba'i Shalom, I'm also a nobody. Oh, you know, this is it, the moment of truth, the moment of din. And at some point, some, you know, nobody from the back of the shul said, wow, you know, the president and the rabbi, and he runs over and he does the same thing. At which point the president turns to the rabbi, look who thinks he's a garnished. In other words, again, there are many lessons one can take from this uh, cute story, uh, but the lesson that I, I, I want to focus on uh, is the, not only the fact that False humility is a form of arrogance, which is maybe the obvious message of that story, but also the confusion. What does it mean to be a Gornished in a healthy sense, in an unhealthy sense? What does it mean to be proud of something, not proud of something? Who are we and what are we supposed to be and how are we supposed to look at ourselves? And that really is uh, the topic of today's year. So let's start off with a sample not a short sample, but a fraction of the amount of sources probably could be marshaled, which state what may be obvious, but I think from various different perspectives, and will highlight uh, the, the starting point, which is clearly the pro-Anova camp. Sources that indicate the importance and the value of humility. So number one, of course, we're familiar with the fact that when the Torah decides to give Moshe a compliment, the Torah is very sparing with compliments. There are very few people that the Torah itself describes in a complimentary way. We're you know, we can glean that the Torah thinks highly of uh, Yaakov or of, uh, of, a, of, a, of Yitzchak. But we don't necessarily have actual compliments. But one of the few examples we have is Moshe. And how does the Torah choose to compliment Moshe? Source number one, that he was anav ma'od mikol adam. He was the most humble person. So how much we can glean from this puzzle, we shall see Mepharshim as the shir goes on. But I think just prima facie, intuitively, if the Torah chooses to compliment the leading personality in the entire book. Right? Moshe is by far the dominant personality, once you get to say for Shmos, of the entire Torah, the most celebrated human being of all time. And how does the Torah describe him? As the most humble person. So even if the rest of us can't be on Moshe's level, we can't be on Moshe's level for anything that he did. But evidently, it seems just patently obvious that you don't have to be, you know, have a, a Gemara cup, you don't have to be the most brilliant uh, person to figure out the fact that obviously if the Torah is complimenting Moshe this way, this indicates that Anav itself is a good thing, and obviously the fact that Moshe so perfected his humility 
is a great testament to him. But for our purposes, at minimum, it's the Torah itself kind of laying it down very clearly that Anava is something that we should all be aspiring to. I want to share with you a number of sources in Chazal, which taking the lead uh, of the Torah, pick up on that and embellish it in a way that we are familiar with from various statements of Chazal. So for example, source number two. The Gemara in Sanhedrin asks, Ezuhi ben Olam Haba. Right? We all want that ticket to the afterlife. We want the ticket to Olam Haba and all the good stuff that's promised. What, how should a person live? So, you know, the simplest answer I would have said is, you know, follow the Shulchan Aruch, do the mitzvot. And that's not a contradiction to what the Gemara says, but nevertheless, that's not what the Gemara answers. The Gemara doesn't just say, keep the halacha. The Gemara specifically focuses on a few particular uh, midos, uh, and we're not going to go through all of them because that's not the purpose of today's shir. But lo and behold, in answering such a fundamental and significant question, what makes a person deserving of olam haba? The very first thing that the Gemara answers, the very first thing on the list, says the Gemara, is someone who's anvanasan, someone who's very humble, ushval berech, which maybe a synonym, maybe something slightly different, but somebody who is both humble and um, not, you know, modest, shayef, ayel, shayef nafet. That's an expression from the Gemara, so to speak, that he bows when he enters, he bows when he exits. Someone who is very, very humble, you might even suggest, although I'm going to push back on that later in this year, you might even suggest that this implies some kind of meekness, but somebody who, you know, when they're entering, when they're, and every, all of their interactions, shayef, ayel, shayef nafet, in all of their interactions, there's always a posture of humility, they're, they have anava, a person who's humble, that's a ben olam haba. That's a characteristic of someone who Hashem really is going to love and going to really uh, reward. The Medrash in source number three, uh, again, picks up on this as well and says that there are quite a few incredible things, things that we would all want that Hashem reserves as reward for humble people. Says the, the Medrash, source number three, Gedol anava, that characteristic of being humble, of not being arrogant, is an amazing, amazing thing. So number one, this Medrash is just picking up where the Gemara left off. You should know, it's not just this is a ticket in, it is a necessary prerequisite. If a person has all these other characteristics, but they're not an Anav, they may find the door locked. But look at all the Torah that I learned, look at all the Chesed that I did, look at all the mitzvahs that I did, I know, but you're an arrogant person. You're not an Anav. You're not going to be someone who Hashem will be Morish Olam Haba for. Wow. Then in the next line, the Medrash says, similarly, Similarly, again, I don't know anyone who particularly uh, experienced it. I know some people who think they've experienced it. Um, but uh, to the extent that we can have divine inspiration, or at least for parts of history, there was a phenomenon of Ruach HaKodesh, again, we would have thought that there are many other characteristics that would make a person uh, eligible for that, and perhaps... Other things are necessary, but nevertheless, the Medrash here focuses on the fact that no matter how many other milas a person has, right, and no matter how long that the shidduch resume looks with impressive uh, accomplishments, if one of the things on that list isn't very humble and unav, so Ruach HaKodesh, Olam Haba, is going to be uh, prevented from that person, man, or woman. And another example, source number four, another one of the uh, collections of Chazal, what's known as Kala Rabasi, one of the Masechtos Ketanos, says again, puts this all kind of all together in a very unmistakable, direct way. Afilu, if a person is Mushlam, Mikala Midos, a person is perfect in all the other Midos, there's something fundamentally missing, there's a fatal flaw if a person does not have Humility. 
Furthermore, again, just illustrating the point over and over again, because I think it really is such an important, important point, the Mishnah in Perkei Avos, um, again, not the Torah itself, but the Mishnah, you know, uh, perhaps the second most important source that we would have after the Torah itself, the Mishnah in Perkei Avos describes two paradigms of behavior that we have in Jewish tradition, for the good and for the bad. Avram Avinu is the model for so many good things, and Bilam is the model of so many bad things. In fact, the Mishnah here refers to Bilam as Bilam Harasha. Says the, the Mishnah Perkei Avos in the fifth parak, and source number five on your sheet. Ko shlosha dvarim halalu mitamidav shal Ravinu. If you have these three characteristics, you can know that you are from the student of, a descendant of, someone who is going in the ways of Avram Avinu. It seems obvious that would be a good thing. Uh, in particular, since that is contrasted with, says the Mishnah, ushlosha dvarim acherim mitamidav shal bilam harasha. Right, so it's obvious, even though it doesn't refer to Avram Avinu HaTzadik, but the contrast to Bilam HaRasha means that clearly the characteristics uh, and the list that we would want to be on obviously is the list of Talmidav of Avram Avinu, not people who are following in the ways of Bilam HaRasha. So interestingly, what does the uh, Mishnah here say is the uh, characteristic of Avram that we should follow? So for our purposes, let's focus on it mentions ayin tova, which is also an important idea. Um, a person should have a good eye, right? There are certain people who, you know, always see the negative in every situation, who see the negative in every person. Um, you know, there are all sorts of like heebie-jeebie, you know, mystical ayin hara interpretations, and I'm not saying that there's no basis in them, but they are far secondary to the more basic uh, form of what it means to have an ayin tova or not have an ayin ra. And that is to be able to see the good in people, to be the good in situations. But furthermore, the second thing that's listed by the Mishnah here is, if you're Avram Avinu, what are you, someone who has? Ruach Nemucha. And the Bar Tanura translates that as, Anava Yeseira. Right? So it wasn't just, the, you know, again, evidently in the competition, um, you know, Avram may have won the silver, because we know that Moshe won the gold. But nevertheless, Avram himself was someone who exhibited, despite his incredible accomplishments, again, getting back to that kind of cute story or joke that we started with, you know, look who thinks he's a gurnished, right? It's very easy to be humble when you have a lot to be humble for, about. Right? It's much more challenging when a person is genuinely accomplished and genuinely talented and genuinely you know, full of many, many good characteristics and accomplishments, it makes it much harder to be humble, one would think. Who has greater accomplishments than Avram Avinu? Right? The pop, if not the uh, founder, but certainly the one who most popularized uh, the idea of you know, ethical monotheism, belief in God, you know, the uh, most successful, you know, if you think of the most successful Kiruv uh, rabbi, Rebetzin, rock star, right? They don't even come close to the success that Avram Avinu had, uh, you know, the most dynamic leader that we had. What an incredible person, what a legacy. And yet, says the Bartanur, what the Mishnah is telling us is he had anava yaseira. He had an excessive amount. He was very, very, very humble. Um, and then just if you skip to the end of the line, the Mishnah is contrasting this with Bilam, who among others is Ruach Gavoha. He was incredibly, incredibly arrogant. Now again, I, I don't know, I'm not an expert, I didn't, never did a full study just in Bilam. But at minimum, at minimum, we know that the Torah tells us that he was a prophet. Chazal tell us that he was an incredible prophet, perhaps on the level of Moshe to some extent. But you don't even need to go to Chazal. The Torah itself describes him as being a prophet. So obviously he had what to be arrogant about. It wasn't like he was a nobody. He was, he was not a Gornish. He was really a somebody. And nevertheless... What the Mishnah clearly is telling us, 
you know, both about Avram and about Bilam, and when you put them together, I think it's a really a powerful combination, is that even when you have incredible accomplishment, you're like Bilam, even more accomplishment, you're like Avram Avinu, nevertheless, that isn't licensed to become arrogant. We may understand it, you know, if we were processing it. You know, where does this come from? Is this person delusional, right? Avram wouldn't have been delusional if he was a Balgaiva, and Bilam wasn't delusional being a Balgaiva. He had what to be arrogant about, and yet the Torah is clearly making a, uh, Chazal, you know, based on the Torah, are making a judgment call, right? This is not, we're not we are not just describing now, uh, we, are, we are being judgmental. Yes, it's, Avram is deserving of our admiration, he deserves this compliment, and we should want to be like Avram, in the sense that he had another Yaseira. And Bilam, of course, is somebody who's referred to as Bilam HaRasha. We certainly don't want to be like Bilam because he is somebody who's considered obviously wicked, as the story in the Chumash itself indicated. And one of the things that um, the Mishnah describes Bilam uh, as having an essential characteristic is his arrogance. Now, I don't know if it's obvious from the Mishnah, but I don't think it's a stretch to add that perhaps the it's not just, you know... It, a characteristic of Bilam, but perhaps that's also what made him be a Russia. That is to say that you know history is littered. You don't have to go back all the way to the Tanakh, right? Perhaps even in our own lives, but certainly in actual you know history, uh, world history, Jewish history, uh, history is littered with people whose downfall was their arrogance. So you can, you know, often people start off in a very good place. So it's possible, it wasn't just that Bilam was a Russia and he was arrogant. It could very well be that it was his arrogance that led him to become a Russia. And Chas Sholem, if we had some, you know, there's a, there's a whole field of study called alternative history. You know, imagine what would have happened if Avram Avinu had everything else he had, but was a Balgaiva. I don't really know what would have happened, but it's not untenable to think that it wouldn't have worked out as well for him or for us. Would that have made Avram itself a Russia? I don't know. That's a very harsh thing to say. But it's possible. Maybe that's really in part what the, Medrash, uh, the, the Mishnah is telling us. It's not just that Avram happened to be a tzaddik and he happened to be an Anav. Despite all of his accomplishments, he was able to stay a tzaddik and be a tzaddik because he had Anava. And Bilam, who was, you know, in his day and age, you know, other than Moshe, certainly the Torah and then Chazal portray him as you know, the most prominent, the most successful, the most impressive person. He was an Anav, an, 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 an on a high level. But because mm-hmm. of his arrogance, the Mishnah is telling us, he ended up becoming Bilam HaRasha. So, you know, the, uh, as, uh, you know, uh, the great philosopher Yogi Berra used to say, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. Understand that that really doesn't make sense, right? That's all the yogiisms uh, are, are profound because they don't really make sense, right? You can't take a fork. Fork means you have to choose one or the other. Okay, everyone gets it. Um, anyway, you could Google who Yogi Berra was if you don't know who that. If, if you're not familiar, not everyone knows who Yogi Berra was. The great Yogi Berra. Um, but the point is, we have a fork in the road and we can't take it. We have to choose which side we want. Do we want to be like Avram or do we want to be uh, like uh, Bilam? And <clears throat> last but not least, in terms of uh, Chazal. Let's see source number six. Source number six is a collection of statements. Um, Mrs. Simons, if you could just mute yourself, that would be great. Thank you. Um, we have a number of sources, uh, statements that Chazal gathered together uh, in the Gemara in Masech Sota, right? The beginning of Masech Sota. And if you take a look at source number six, the Gemara says as follows. Kol adam gasut haruach, 
Kil Ovid Avodas Kachavim. So you have one of the, you know, you see uh, the Gemara here is using a similar terminology or imagery uh, as the Mishnah already had uh, for describing arrogance versus humility, and that is Ruach. Right, having a high spirit is 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 arrogant. Having a low spirit is considered mo- um, modest. So here, using a similar choice of language and imagery, says the Gemara: anyone who has gasus haruach, which you know, I would translate that as being arrogant. But uh, if you want to be more literal, it has to do with an elevated, inflated spirit, an inflated sense of self. Says the Gemara, an astounding comment. Wow, you know. Can't it just be wrong? Does everything have to be like Avodazara? Why is that like Avodazara? What do you think? I mean, come on. I would never worship Avodazara. What am I, uh, you know, primitive pagan? What does that mean to worship Avodazara? Because I... Exactly, exactly. I think, again, I don't think, it's, I don't think it was such a, hard, such a hard question, but it's an important question and a, a point to, 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 to point out, which is that arrogance, in many ways, is self-worship. Now, again... I'm cheating a little bit because we haven't yet got to, and this is going to be the final part of the shear, um, or the second last part of the shear, is to define what is modesty in a healthy way as opposed to arrogance in an unhealthy way. We have not defined that yet. Fair enough. But I think that the Gemara is laying down a marker for us, which is that if you are over the line, uh, even if it sounds a little bit hyperbolic, but on some level, it is fair to say that the arrogant man or woman, the arrogant person, is a person who worships him or herself. And therefore, it's a form of avodos kachavim. Or as the Gemara says in the next phrase, ilu kafar b'ikar. Which, you know, you could say that's just a, a synonymous redundancy. You know, kafar b'ikar, you deny God and you worship idols. I didn't look around in Mepharshim, but and maybe I'm, thank you so much, and thank you, I'm, uh, maybe I'm reading even more into it, but if, if, if I were to suggest why the Gemara needs to mention both phrases, on some level one could suggest, and I don't know if this is correct, I'm just throwing this out there, but perhaps there's an escalation. In other words, you could worship yourself and still believe in Hashem. Right? It's like, you know, people, there are, in human history, there were, it was very common you know, for people to believe in multiple gods. So instead of having, you know, the multiple Greek gods, you could just insert yourself and the Abishter. You know, I believe, it's not I don't believe in Hashem, it's that I also believe in myself. Right? I also worship myself. So that itself is a problem, because we're only supposed to be worshiping Hashem. It could be the Kafar B'ikar goes even further, which is that, you know, it's by, you know, that, 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 that opinion might say, no, it might, either it might be a different opinion or it might be different degrees of arrogance. But there can be an arrogance in which your belief in yourself, your worship, of yourself is so total that there's not even room for Kaddish Baruch Hu to play a supporting role. Right? Imagine like, you know, back in the days when there used to be like, you know, these you know, movie theaters and like the big uh, things, you know, okay, what's the right word? Uh, thing, uh, big signs on the front. Marquee. marquee, thank you. Or what's the other word someone said? Billboard. Uh, that's what, yeah, but I was thinking marquee. Billboards could be like on the highway, but the marquee is like in front, right? And they would put like the names of the leading man or leading woman, right? So sometimes there's two names. Sometimes there's only one name. Right, so maybe that maybe again I could be wrong, but either way it's a bad thing. But maybe that's the difference between right? Putting yourself up there on the marquee with Hashem is already a problem. Only Hashem is supposed to be up there. But kafar b'ikar is not just that you put your own name up there; you drop Hashem's name. A person can be that arrogant; it's possible. And then the Gemara says something which is really like I'm not even sure exactly what to do with this, but other than to say clearly we're just piling on, says the Gemara in the next phrase, Kilu ba al kol ha'arayos. 
A person who completely loses him or herself in terms of all the sexual moralities that the Torah prohibits, and a person who is arrogant as if they violated all of them. I, I'm not sure what exactly is the uh, intention there, um, other than maybe indulging in something, or maybe, again, I'm thinking out loud here, maybe it just points out that there's an incredibly powerful pleasure in being self-worshipping. I'm not sure, but either way, it's like, wow, we're piling on. This is really, really bad. The Gemara then goes on in the continuation to try to suggest either sources or at least hints at why this is all so bad from the Torah itself, of Aram Levavcha V'Shachachta, and... The Gemara points out that from the Sukkim there in the, towards the beginning of Sefer Tvarim, we see there's an association between being Ram Levavcha, being arrogant, Vishachachta, and then you forget God. And quotes other Sukkim uh, to that effect. And then to continue the Gemara, okay, this is really the, the place in all of the Talmud where there's such a collection of strong statements about this uh, topic, says the Gemara, if a person is arrogant, Hakarish Barcho says the following. Right, it's like one of those old westerns. There isn't room in this town for the two of us. So that's what Akash Baruch Hu says. If you're arrogant, there's just no room. Again, it's, it's, it's the imagery, which is, I think, consistent with what we've seen in the earlier statements of the Gemara, is very, very powerful. That in our mind, in our emotional space, in our intellectual space, there's a finite amount of, there is a finite amount of room. There's a finite amount of space. And the more a person inflates him or herself, there's, yeah, if you think of this, this imagery, you, there's no space, there's no room for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we're sort of speak, crowding him out. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, feels that. If you're arrogant, we're just, we're just not going to be able to, to be uh, together. And then last but not least, this is almost like you know, an afterthought, uh, considering all the other things we've already said. Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, Lo lo You shouldn't think that a little bit of arrogance is okay. Right, this is something that is so dangerous and so poisonous, if you will, uh, that even a little bit is already damaging. I would imagine that a lot is is a lot damaging. I don't think it's all or nothing, but you shouldn't think that there's a small amount. Now, again, this last point is particularly important for what again I keep on uh, foreshadowing that we will get to it, and we will get to it. But you know, what exactly is humility, and what is arrogance versus healthy self confidence? But I don't think this is saying, I mean, this will be my claim, uh, I don't think this means that a person shouldn't have any self-confidence, but whatever is called arrogance, which we have not 100% defined, whatever is called arrogance, then even a little bit of that uh, is considered uh, problematic. The Rambam in source number seven uh, summarizes, you know, and condenses and organizes a lot of these various statements, and I just want to highlight some of what the Rambam quotes here in source number seven is just, literally a quotation from the Gemara, so we don't need to read that inside, you know, to see that again, but I want to just point out the following, which some of you may know, but it's worth uh, highlighting for everyone and making sure we're on the same page, and also just appreciating it in case uh, people don't know it or forgot it, and that is, as some of you probably, or maybe all of you have heard or know, the Rambam had a very famous philosophy of life. What was known as the Shvil HaZahav, or the doctrine of the golden mean. The Rambam believed that to be an extremist, as a personality type, was a bad thing. We live in a generation which reveres extremism. The more extreme the statement, the more attention it gets, the more extreme the rabbi, often the more followers he gets. We live in a generation that I don't think would have made the Rambam happy in many, many ways. Um, The Rambam, on many, many levels, on every level, felt that extremism was a bad thing, even the extreme application of good things. 
Forget bad things, that's obvious. But taking good midos, good tchunot hanefesh, good character traits, but going to an extreme, itself could be problematic. Rambam felt that everything had to be calibrated with a proper balance. That's what's known as the Rambam's shvil hazav. So he speaks about, for example, being charitable. You might think if charity is a good thing, you should give away all your money. So Ram, no, that's ridiculous. A person has to take care of himself, has to take care of his or her family. Ram talks about courage, right? Courage is a very laudable thing. A person who is scared of his or her own shadow, that's, a, that's not just, you know, not going to make a good soldier. That's a chisaron, says the Ram in Midos. Courage is a, uh, a characteristic that people should have. But at the same time, to be so courageous as to be foolish, to walk into the highway in the middle and just think nothing's going to happen to you, says the Ramam, that's also, you have to have a little a healthy dose of fear and uh, t- being a little timid. So the, the Ramam describes many things about balancing. However, the Ramam, despite that incredible uh, devotion to and his strong um, you know, affirmation of and prescribing and uh, you know, talking about how important it is to have that balance, the Ramam says that there can be exceptions to the rule. And here in source number 7, the Ramam says, Yesh de'ot shasur lehem Again, you appreciate how important this Ramam is if you know the background. The Ramam had just extolled being a balanced person, not going to either extreme, says Ramam. However, there are certain things in which we very well should be extremists. We should be extremists for certain things. And what is an example of that? That we should be mitrachek mikatzeh al katzeh go to the other extreme. The first thing the Ramam says is govalev arrogance. Ain derech atovash yadam anav bilvad. Not enough to be. For now, we'll just call it a little humble. Elish yishvel ruach. You have to be very very humble. Betiarucha numucha ad lamod. Super duper humble. It sounds like he's even saying meek. And he says that's why the Gemara. That's why the Torah compliments Moshe. Anav ma'od. The Torah didn't say anav. The Torah said anav ma'od. Therefore, we should be like Moshe Rabbeinu. And then, again, I gave you at the end, after all, we just saw from the Gemara, if you are arrogant as if you are denying God. So, even though we just spent 25 minutes piling on source after source after source, you'll trust me that there's another 25 minutes of sources that I didn't even include. Right? This is a clearly consistent and important theme in Chazal and in other sources about how terrible uh, arrogance is and how important it is to be uh, humble. Uh, before we pivot to what I think is going to be the really interesting part of the year in terms of understanding that this is not so, so simple, I just want to point out that it's not, well, at least according to many, it's not only a Midos issue. Now, Midos are important, but it's not only a Midos issue. According to at least some Rishonim, it may even be a Halachic uh, prohibition. Many, probably if I were going to do a count, I would have to admit it's probably not most, um, of the Rishonim count humility or arrogance, uh, as the case may be, as one of the 613 mitzvahs, as an actual chiyuv. It's just part of the umbrella of good midos. Nevertheless, there are some mefarshim. I gave you two of them particularly. These are Rishonim, very, very important uh, authorities. Sources 8 and number 9, who actually suggest that this may be not only a Musr point or a midos point, but halachic as well. So I'm going to read part of source number eight with you inside because it's so amazing. But before we do that, I'll just point out, again, the, way, the reason I picked these particular sources is because I think that they're actually highlighting um, two things in particular. For example, if you look at source number nine, so he, the Sefer HaYireim, see he focuses on the positive, positive idea of humility. And he himself says, I'm not really sure what the source would be, but as the fact is that the Torah decides of all things to compliment Moshe and to praise Moshe with Ha'ish 
Anna Moshe Anav Maod says Sefer Yirem source number nine. The Madnu Shemitzvah Lios Adam Anav V'Shaval Ruach. If the Torah is saying this is what Moshe was, and in, it, you know with tremendous admiration and complimenting Moshe, so we obviously have a mitzvah to try to do that as well. He just thinks it's it's almost obvious that you see the Torah thinks it's a good thing. But if you take a look at source number eight, uh, this is the smog, and the smog is an incredible, uh, incredible thing. And he, I think, is focusing not on the positive uh, myla, if you will, the mitzvah of humility. He's focusing on the iser of arrogance. So I don't know if there's any big nafkamina. I don't think that's going to shatter our world. That there's, one, But I just think it's interesting that one focuses on the positive, one focuses on the negative. But what's really, really fascinating, like one of like the most interesting sources you'll ever see in Torah about source number eight, is not that he focuses on the negative versus the positive. He describes the following. This is one of the great Rishonim, Atzadik, a genius of Tamachacham, and he put tremendous effort into being one of the earliest, one of the earliest of the Rishonim to write a list of what are the 613 mitzvahs. The Smag, that's the abbreviation, it's a Rashi Tevot for Sefer Mitzvahs Gadol. Here's your big list. This is the list of the 613 things that a person needs to know and needs to do. And he tells the following. Listen, this is incredible. He's looking at source number eight. This is really, it's worth our time before we pivot to the second half of the year. Says the Smag, I often, I'm a rabbi, I'm a community leader. I often spoke about in public the importance of humility, and it's not good to be arrogant. It's not like I have a blind spot to that. I know that's a very important midos, or musr thing. Nevertheless, he says, But the bottom line, when I was forced to make hard choices, a lot of values in the world, but only 613 can be actual mitzvot daraisa, my initial thought was, I'm not going to count it. And I, so to speak, he says, I went to bed, I finished, I, you know, we would say I shut the computer, thinking I'm ready to send a manuscript to the editor, to the printer, I finished my magnum opus, I finished my 613, and it did not include, it did not include a prohibition of being arrogant. Not because I don't think it's important, I talk about it all the time, but I didn't think, technically speaking, it deserved to be in that list. And then what happened? And he points out, I'm not alone. The Rambam, who we just saw, is speaking in incredibly strong terms about this. The Rambam, who, in his 613, does not count it. Something would be really, really bad and not be an Isser. Nevertheless, says the Smog, in the end, I did count it. What happened? It's a very important message in life. Just when you finish work and you close that computer, don't send it off right away. This is part of the problem with our impulse culture. Right, our Twitter culture, our Facebook culture, right? Not, I'm not discussing any other potential issues with that technology. But there's no delay, right? If we have an input, something pops in our head, we have to send it out. Right? There's so many people who have ruined their lives. I mean, like, you know, when you think in, this, in the celebrity world, where if they, not, just, not only because they're often idiots, uh, but, but sometimes they're not as stupid, but they had an impulse. Lots of us have impulses. But in today's culture, it's important. You have to share that impulse right away. If they had just thought about it, sleep on it. They probably could have saved themselves a lot of heartache. Well, guess what? You could have just learned that from the smog. Look what he says. It's incredible. It's wild. If he didn't write this himself, I don't think I could believe such a thing. I finished this section of the book. I finished all the lotases, all the negative mitzvos. What happened? I went to sleep. I deserved the shluf. And then what happened? I was approached. I was called out. I had a dream. I had a dream. And the voice in my dream was telling me, you didn't finish. On the contrary, you left out the most important thing. The Pasuk, as we saw previously, the Pasuk in Devarim, 
Don't be arrogant. It'll lead you to forgetting God. And I forgot. Hitbonanti, I love. I woke up in the morning, Baboker, you know, jumped out of bed like, oh my gosh, I thought about it. What was this dream telling me? And I realized I had made a horrible mistake. Hashem. I, I believe I forgot this. And then I looked into the Gemara and I saw this and therefore I'm counting the, air, the, the prohibition of being arrogant. I put it in the 613. So why is it in the smog? Because he had a dream. It's incredible. I don't know too many examples in all of Torah literature, in all of history of Torah literature. He had one approach. He wasn't going to count it. He had a dream one night. Now again, he didn't just say because of my dream. The dream inspired him to go back and in his encyclopedic mind go through all of Shas. So, oh right, there's a Gemara in Sota. But again, if you ask me, I think what really happened, he knew the Gemara and Sota before he went to sleep also. But he initially didn't think of the Gemara and Sota as a halachic source. He thought it was a Musr source. And yet he changes his mind. So, again, I'm not saying for sure, for sure, for sure it's an Avera. But the bottom line is, you know, again, this is maybe a larger schmooze, but we often reduce things to mitzvahs and averos when in fact sometimes something could be even more than that. There are things even better, some, you know, to say, it's, to say something is quote-unquote just a mitzvah. I remember once uh, Rav Meir Tversky was visiting Talmudim and somebody asked him, you know, do you think nowadays there's a mitzvah to make aliyah? So he was offended by the question. He says, that's besides the point. And even if there isn't, that means you shouldn't make aliyah. He says, what could be more important than living in Eretz Yisrael? You have a thousand sources from the Torah and the Chazal. Whether it's technically a mitzvah nowadays or not, it's an interesting question. But if that's your focus, you've reduced it. That's the, besides the point, it's much more important to say it's a mitzvah and that's all you would say about Eretz Yisrael, you'd be actually in, you know, re- reducing Israel. So it's the same, Eretz Yisrael, it's the same thing about a certain Averos. If about certain Averos, about certain things, all you can say is it's Usr, that's actually, you don't even appreciate, it's much worse than that. Halavai was only Usr. Certain things are much worse than just being Usr. So that's basically what's happening here. Yes, some Rishonim count it, some Rishonim don't count it. But I wouldn't, I'm not saying it's not, an, it's, it's, not, it's not an unimportant question whether it's an Isser or not, or it's a Mitzvah or not. But don't be blinded by that. It's an interesting, almost, I would say it's more academic. Whether it's a Mitzvah technically, it's an Avera technically, it's obviously incredibly important to be humble and incredibly horrible to be arrogant. Okay, now I have a series of questions that I want to ask to pivot to the second part of the shir, uh, which I think will be incredibly important and nuanced for all of us, and especially, especially I hope, even when it comes to you know, raising our own children and our families. Um, and that is the following. Despite all of this, the overwhelming evidence that we have shared, I think it's clearly not so simple. First of all, if arrogance means to be you know, very self-aware of your own accomplishments, does that mean that modesty means to be in denial of your talents, of your accomplishments? Let's say you're genuinely very smart. Let's say you're genuinely very accomplished. Let's say you're genuinely very kind and genuinely very virtuous. So does to be a humble mean to deny all that? Do you have to lie to yourself? Is it possible that there's a mila of being dishonest? Forget to anyone else, even to yourself. I have to live in denial? How could that, it's not possible to me intuitively that that could be what the Torah wants from us. Or should we be delusional? We should be unaware of our accomplishments, completely oblivious to our talents? That's what it means to be humble, admaod. That's what the Rambam means when he says, go to the extreme. It just seems to be impossible. Moreover, Hashem has given us many, many gifts, right? To be a mom, it means that whatever my accomplishments are, whatever my talents are, maybe I cultivated them. But in many ways, right, we don't say kochi ve'otzam yadi, it comes from Hashem. So not only would, it, if humility means, oh, I'm a nobody, 
If it really means ich bin agornisht, when you're not, so first of all, you're being dishonest. But second of all, isn't it a lack of gratitude to being a kafoy tov? Hashem gave you tremendous gifts, tremendous... No, uh, no, nothing. No, not me. Not, not me, but me. <laughs> so what, if you really believe that, then you also would have gratitude for the gifts you had. Could that be what the Torah wants from us? To be dishonest with ourselves or delusional, to not be, to be, to, to be tov. And I would say the, the third and less strong of the questions is, it's kind of depressing. To be shvel ruach, if, we, if that means to be meek, the Torah is saying we should walk around, you know, like a nobody, and, you know, with a sign on my forehead, kick me. That's really what the Torah is prescribing. That's the great ideal. That's who Moshe Rabbeinu was, who we're all supposed to try to emulate. It just seems impossible. It doesn't make any sense. And just to add maybe either a fourth question or just to prove that this is all not so simple, take a look at the Gemara source number 10. This is the Gemara in Sota Daf Memtes Amidbet. And there, the Gemara says as following. The Gemara is describing how certain great Tanaim were, and Chachamim, were paragons and paradigms of certain Midos. And unfortunately, they were so great that when they passed away, you know, that particular characteristic was, so to speak, lost from the world. So one of the statements, this is a, in, in a list of statements, says the Gemara at source number 10, Mishimes Rebbe, the great Rebbe Yura Anasi, the one who organized the Mishnah, Batla Anava V'yiraschet. He had so much humility, he had so much fear of heaven, that when he died, it was as if you know, no one else could even remotely exemplify those mitos. It was basically gone from the world. To which one of the other chachamim who's around, Rabbi Yosef, says, Whoa, one second! Amr le Rabbi Yosef Latana, the rabbi, whoever was making this exposition, Aynebech Rebbe died, there's no more anava in the world, says Rabbi Yosef, hold on! Lo tasty anava. Don't include anava in your list of things that are no longer in the world. Deika anava. Because I'm still around and I'm a huge anava. It's one of the great Gemaras of all time. It's like the Navarta story. Yes, it's unbelievable. <laughs> d- 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 don't, say, d- don't say there's no more anava in the world. I'm here. I'm still around. Don't, put, you know, don't, kick, the, don't kick dirt on my grave just yet. I think the, the ultimate last anava is knowing that it comes from Hashem. Oh. You, could be, you could be an anav, knowing that it's not you. It's Excellent. Good. So I, good. I, I, I like that very much. So I want to use all these questions, including this Gemara, to pivot. And I want to suggest or share with you three models of what humility uh, may be. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think they may all be true. But I found three different approaches, which I think highlight, as I say, the fact that this is clearly uh, not so simple. So let's look at source number 11. Source number 11, and really 12, they go together, is the, the Nitziv in source number 11, Hamek Davar, and the Tiferes Yisrael, one of the commentaries on the Mishnah in source number 12. So says the Nitziv in source number 11. He's talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, what does it mean to be an Onav? She'eno choshesh l'chvodo v'tza'aro. To be an Onav does not mean to be oblivious to your accomplishments and to your talents. For all the reasons we just mentioned. It's obvious. It's absurd. Delusional, dishonest, kafoitov. That can't mean what it means. And the Gemara would make no sense, obviously, as you correctly point out. So what does it mean to be an anav, says the Nitziv Mivalajin? You're not focused on all the cover that other people are giving you or your own, so to speak, pain. Not because I don't think I'm, not because I think I'm a nobody. Not because I'm actually meek. 
And I'm oblivious to my own abilities. Turning over the page. No, of course I realize that. I know what I've accomplished. I know the gift Hashem has given me. You don't wear it on your sleeve. Not that you're dishonest with yourself. You're oblivious yourself. But rather your focus is not on yourself. Your focus is on other people. And that is what he says is the Gemara in Masech Tasota. He quotes this about Rabbi, Yo- Rabbi Yosef. That is to say, what does that mean? It's not about me. Not that I don't know what I have accomplished. And I have certain character traits. I'm very, very humble. Meaning to say, I don't care about my kavod and I'm not worried about my pain or my suffering or my convenience. I care more about other people. In a very similar way, the Tiferet Shishol, source number 12, says similarly, specifically about Moshe. Lafiani is daiti Onov hu hamakir godless erko. To be an onov, of course means you recognize your own abilities, your own accomplishments. And nevertheless, I'm not arrogant in the sense that rather, man michatmo b'chesed. That is the way, the way I read this, he's saying is, I don't worry about myself as much as I'm worrying about what I can do to help other people. If a person is, it's not that I'm unaware of my abilities. It's just that, that what's good for me and bad for me is not the focus. The focus is what I can use those abilities for to help other people. And therefore, he says explicitly, when it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe was anav ma'od. Look what he says here, source number 12, where it's underlined. Again, ask yourself this question. Your whole life you've been learning about Moshe was the humblest of all men. What does that mean? Does that mean that Moshe was unaware that he was special? Did Moshe have complete obliviousness? Was he completely unaware of the fact that he had this unique relationship with Hashem? Says the Tzvash Yisrael explicitly, and I think the Nitziv implicitly, of course not, that's absurd. Of course Moshe knew who he was. But Moshe understood that everything that he had accomplished, all the gifts that Hashem had given him, the opportunities Hashem had provided for him, were not about him, they were about other people. There's a great line that the great Christian apologist uh, C.S. Lewis has, which I think very much is consistent with this. He says, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not about thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. It's not about you, not focusing on yourself. Now we don't have time to focus on this at all, uh, but I just want to point out out of spirit of transparency and intellectual honesty, um, my least favorite source on this topic is source number 13. And that's the Torah Tamima. Because he actually says, again, I find it totally unpersuasive, I'm being honest, but the Torah Tamima says, Moshe had no idea who he was. He says at source number 13, He did not think he had any more ability than anybody else. I find the Tiferes Yisrael much more convincing. But I'm just sharing it with you. You should know that not everybody, uh, you know, agrees with this approach. Uh, the Tarotimia clearly parts ways. But uh, I think our first approach, which I personally find very persuasive, is what I'm calling the Netziv and the Tiferes Yisrael, which is what does an Anav mean? It means Klapei Acherim. It means in terms of how you relate to other people. Do you lord yourself over other people? Every time you go in a room, are you thinking, what's going to, for me, had, it, it was a good event or bad event? I don't know. Did they give me COVID or not? That's a Balgaiva. If you think about events and you think about life and contributions you can make in the community, about things that you're doing for other people and the benefits to other people and not about yourself, then even if you're completely aware of your own accomplishments, that is quote-unquote an of. Number one. Number two. Um, 
I, I got you, I got to finish, okay? Afterwards, if we have a little bit of time, but I want to finish, okay? Before I run too late. Uh, source, a second approach. I want to share with you is from source number 14, the famous Mashkiach and the Panovich Yeshiva, Rabbi Cheskel Levenstein, the Or Yecheskel. And this is not exactly, I think, what you were saying before, but very close, I think. He says, what does it mean to be Anova? Anonov. He said, Anov does not mean shiftless hanefesh, to be meek, to think you're a nobody. A person understanding their own accomplishments, their own uniqueness, their own significant contributions, their own talents and abilities. The gaiva of the alev, the, excuse me, the godless alev, that's also still anova. But what's the key point? Where's the, where's the difference? Where do you go from godless alev to gaiva? Where's the big red line? You have to realize, as great as you are, do you compare to Akash Baruch And do you compare to the potential? Have you lived up to the gifts that Hashem gave you? No matter how much I've accomplished, I know how much greater Hashem is, and I know how much greater the, the job is. In other words, if I have these incredible abilities, who's to say that I really accomplished everything that I'm supposed to? If you appreciate HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the tremendous mission in the world, if I think about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm always going to fall short. If I think about everybody else, yeah, Taka, maybe I'm better looking, maybe I'm smarter, maybe I'm da da da, da. But if I think not about other people, but I always think about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and His greatness then that will always keep me humble. Again, not to be oblivious of my abilities, but to always have a certain sense of proportion. Source number 15, very similar, but for my purposes, I, th- I thought maybe there was a slight nuanced uh, difference. And this is Rav Chaim in his parish on Perke Avos. And he says as follows. So first of all, he says, listen, to be an honor of means, somewhat similar to what we saw before, you have to be willing to take abuse in this world, elbono, savlan. You know, don't lord yourself over other people. Don't be so makbar on your own kavod. That's an element of humility. However, he says, in the, uh, in the deeper sense, af im chachamhu, the yare be'enav. Let's say you really, you know you're a chacham. You know you're a person of accomplishment, of you're a shamayim, etc., etc. Im kolzeh, not to deny it, but nevertheless, ulay lefi sikhlo tchonato lo amal od v'lo tarach karaoi. Says every person was given gifts. Yes, you are given gifts. Of course, you have to be aware of those. Humility doesn't mean to be unaware. Of course, you have to be aware of those. But what's the next step? The next step isn't self congratulation. Oh, I was born into a prominent family. Oh, I was born with good cheekbones and uh, attractive, you know, features. Oh, I was born with great intelligence. If you just stop there, of course that's horrible, of course that's arrogant. Says Rechaim Velozhner, the next step is, if I was born, if I was given all these opportunities, these abilities, these talents, so presumably there's even more expected of me. I think that was, after Rechaim Velozhner, I think it was Spider-Man who said that, right? One of your kids will tell you, your grandkids, right? I think with great, with great, respons- with great uh, talent or great something comes great responsibility, that's a famous Spider-Man line. Right? I'm not such a superhero person, but I seem to remember that from like when I was like th- three or four or five years old. I don't know. Whenever I last watched a Spider-Man cartoon. Um, <clears throat> that's what Chaim Velozhner is saying. You may have incredible accomplishments, but if you had potential to do more, maybe you've fallen short of what you could have done. 
you're not a successful person. However, he says, however, but the person next to you, the person who's much less smart, much less accomplished, much less good looking, much less blah, 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 blah. Maybe they accomplished 99% of their potential and you only accomplished 50% of yours. So who's the macher and who's the loser? We can't ever know that. Of course. And therefore, says that's what humility means. The more you're aware of your own accomplishments, your own abilities, the more you can never be satisfied because maybe you haven't lived up to the abilities and the gifts that Hashem has given you. To be humble means to always realize if I was given these gifts, if I've already accomplished X, maybe I can do X plus. Right? This is incredibly, incredibly important. Again, no. A person, if you have an unhealthy kind of OCD type of mind, this could be an unhealthy approach. But I think for a healthy, balanced person, this is constantly motivating, not to be satisfied, to realize that too much has been given, much is expected. And that is a form of humility. So I would suggest, again, uh, maybe I was being a little artificial or too cute in it, but I would organize these three different approaches, again, all of which agree against the Tartabima, that a person should be aware, should be grateful for the gifts that he or she has received, but there's three different ways that a person can and should remain humble. Number one is vis-a-vis HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The awareness that these are gifts from Hashem, and that who am I compared to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Vis-a-vis him or herself, right? That, and, you know, which is the last thing we just saw, that you know, maybe you're doing great things, but maybe you could be doing much more. So you need to be pushing yourself more. You, you were, we're judged by our own potential, not by how we compare to someone down the block. And number three, which was really the first thing I'd mentioned, is how you treat other people. How we treat other people, when we talk about this is a nice person, he or she is a kind person. So what that first approach was telling us is that a lot of that is already downstream. It's a derivative of a more basic point. A humble person is much more likely to be a nice person. I don't mean that he or she's going to be head of the chesed committee, because that could be either because they're lazy, or just because they have too many other responsibilities. But in terms of the way you interact with people, the people who are more humble are also going to be the people who are not thinking about themselves all the time. It's not about him, it's not about her. It's about the other person. I would add, by the way, that I assume that this is a hugely important part of being a good husband or a good wife too. Because the more arrogant you are, the more you're thinking always about what's in it for me. And the more humble you are, the more you care about other people. So other people starts with the people closest to you. Your, your spouse, your children, etc., etc. To be humble, according to that approach, is not just about you know, thinking less of yourself, as we said, but thinking of yourself less. It's not about me. It's about uh, other people. Now I want to just conclude um, with the following. And that is maybe implied by what we just saw, but these are three really powerful sources that I really want to uh, focus on. And I think some of them can be very, very uh, healthy for people. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence, although I haven't done some exhaustive study, but I think that there's a tremendous uh, focus, at least in some parts of the world of Hasidus, which all three of the last sources are Hasidic sources, which focus on the fact that the wrong kind or too much of humility can be a very, very destructive thing. And on the contrary, there's a tremendous mitzvah sometimes in having an ego. So one of the big proponents of both halves of that statement was Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. The famous Rav Levi Yitzchak, who we know a lot of Hasidic stories, and the Rebbe Rav Levi Yitzchak, and maybe if you go on a trip to Poland, they take it to his, his kever, it's all very, very nice and good. But there's a little Torah from the Rav Levi Yitzchak too. And the Sefer that we have is called the Kedushas Levi, which is a parsha on Chumash. And in two different places, these are two of my favorite uh, pieces by the, the Rebbe Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, in source number 16 is in Parshas Noach, 
And there he speaks about the dangers of having too much humility. And in source number 17, in Parshas Akev, he speaks about the importance of having a good amount of arrogance. In source number 16, he's speaking about Noah. I'll do it outside because we don't have time uh, to do it all inside. Everyone asks the question, why did Noah not fight for the world? It was a tzaddik that he believed Hashem, he built the Teva 100 plus years. But unlike Avram, who we read about two weeks later, who fights for Sodom and Amorah, he loses, but he fights, he tries, he cares. Noah didn't fight. So some of Farshim say, yeah, that was exactly Noah's problem. He was a tzaddik in pelts. He only cared about himself. He was selfish. Okay. But that's not what the Kedushas Levi says. Source number 16, he says, no, no, no. Step back. Do you know what it takes to argue with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How much self-confidence would a person have to have? Avram Avinu, who the Mishnah Pergayavo said is a model of humility, fought with God. You need a certain healthy ego to even think, who has the chutzpah to argue with God? Noah was too humble. Me? Argue with Hashem? And he works off of a very famous chazal. Rashi, in Parshas Noah, refers to Noah as a ma'amin ve'enu ma'amin. He didn't really believe. That's why Rashi says that Noah, even after it started raining and water was rising, 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 according to Chazal, he didn't go into the ark, which he had spent all that time building, he didn't go in right away. It wasn't until the water got up to his neck, he was basically physically forced into the teva. Why did he wait so long? So Rashi says, because he didn't really believe. That's the Rashi. It's not like some hidden esoteric capitalistic source. It's Rashi on Chomish. Says Rebbe Yitzchak, what are you talking about? How could it be? How could it be that Noah didn't believe? He didn't believe he spent 100 years building. Says Rebbe Yitzchak, he didn't believe in himself. Not that he didn't believe in Hashem, or believe in the Gzeira of the Mabul. He didn't believe in his own worthiness. What started off as a certain excessive humility, who might argue with God about the world, 100 plus years later snowballed into who might even be saved. So there's a danger in too much humility, says Rav Yitzhak. And source number 17, he flips the script, tells how important it is to be healthy uh, ego. Shema tamar bavodas Hashem, I should also be known of. Okay, it's one thing to think I'm not so special in the business world, in my professional life, but maybe in my bavodas Hashem. What would it mean to be an unav in a bavodas Hashem? Does it really matter if I do the right thing? Does it really matter if I daven? Does it really matter if I dress sanua? If it really, does it, what does it really matter? There's billions of people in the world, kajillions and kajillions of people in human history. I'm a nothing. God doesn't even know I exist. Why would Hashem possibly care what I do? That's another, right? That's humility. Says Rebbe Yitzchak, source number 17, Zehu Kfira. That's total heresy. On the contrary, you have to believe a person should say to himself, Hashem does care about me because I am important. HaKash Baruch Hu gets pleasure from my mitzvahs that I do because I am important. And last but not least, maybe my favorite one line about this whole topic, the famous uh, later, much later Hasidic master, Tzadik HaKohen Milublin, so this is number 18, Tzadikas Katzadik, Kishem Shetzarech Adam Lahamin Bashem Yizbarach, Kein Tzarech Acharkach Lahamin Ba'atzmo. Just like there's a mitzvah of Amunah and Hashem, a person has to believe in him or herself. That is to say, what does that mean to believe in yourself? That Kaddish Baruch Hu wants a relationship with him or her. Eisekimo. I'm not just this irrelevant person. You have to believe, I come from a Kaddish Baruch Hu. There's a piece of Hashem inside of me. And if he decided to create me, if he decided I'm worthy and deserving of being born, 
That means that he believes in me. And if he believes in me, then I need to believe in myself. I will tell you a, a true story, somebody that I know just in the last few weeks, who's having a lot of struggles in his life at the moment. He said to me, I know that other people love me, but I don't love myself. If I figure out a way to love myself, I'm never going to be able to be a productive. Now, he wasn't using the terms humble humility versus arrogance. But it's basically coming from an unhealthy sense of insecurity. For whatever reason, I'm not a psychologist where it's coming from. I don't know. I could not diagnose the person. But I was really taken and shaken, frankly, by the statement. And I really thought of this from Tzadok. A person is not going to be able to be productive in any area of their life, including the religious part of their life, if they don't have a healthy sense of self-confidence. There has to be some degree of self-love. Can it go too far? Of course it can go too far. But a healthy degree of it that you should believe that you count, that Hashem cares about you. <clears throat> to deny it is kfira, according to Levi Yitzhak. And again, we've seen it probably with our own eyes. <clears throat> People who really believe in themselves, who have a healthy sense, uh, can, do, can do great things. I've never met or heard of anybody who accomplished anything great in their lives who didn't believe in themselves before that. Because to take on any great undertaking, you have to have a certain degree of confidence. So think of anyone, even in the most religious realm, the greatest Rebetzin who ran the Space Yaakov, who started the best seminary. Why would she do such a thing if she didn't believe in herself? But I'm humble. Who am I? I should, I should do. Nothing accomplishes great without first believing that it's possible. So, again, the balance in our own lives and our children's lives, it's not always easy to find, but it's, but it's important to find because if we get it right, we saw three different ways that humility can be very important to how we treat other people, we view ourselves, we view Hashem. But if we get it wrong and we go to extremes, that can also be incredibly, incredibly damaging. Okay?